Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to DDP Snake Pit. And of course, we can't do it without the Hall of Famers themselves, including Jake the Snake Roberts. Jake, how are you, man? Wonderful, man. And of course, we've got DDP. What's going on, Dallas? How are you? Man, just good to be here. It seems like uh, got a little nice flow going last week, uh, talking about just like where Jake and you know how people see the resurrection of Jake the Snake, and they like first thing people ask me all the time is like, how did that happen? Like, how do you, you bring him into your home and all that? I go, well, there's a there's a lot of history that you know because a lot of people wanted me to you know start bringing people into my home for addiction, and it was like that that that's not what this was about. It was me trying to help my buddy find his way back. That's all. And uh, we got lucky and uh, <laughs> it turned into something even more special than that. It really is. It's a story of uh, redemption and recovery and, you know, buddies and, and believing in each other and perseverance and just all positive, good stuff. But you guys didn't actually get together in the wrestling world under maybe the best of circumstances. Uh, Jake, I know over the years, it's not been your favorite thing to discuss when you first jumped to WCW, uh, things didn't exactly go as planned. And in my research, I found that you were actually backstage at a WCW show in Atlanta. I think at center stage in March of 1992. So that would have been even before the big WrestleMania where you finished up. Why were you interested in making the jump from the WWF over to WCW? And how did that all come to be? Well, uh... You know, Vince had made a promise to me um, that when the day came for Pat Patterson to move on, that I would have that position. And uh, I was looking forward to it. I mean, I've always loved creating uh, new characters and uh, writing, um, coming up with an idea for an angle, so to speak, uh, was so easy for me. I, I never had to think about it long, um, 10 or 15 minutes and I could take you a whole new direction. And it just, things fell into place for me. Uh, a lot of guys have to sit down and think for hours or days, weeks and still can't and still can't get it. <laughs> but for some reason, God gave me that gift. And, uh, I was looking forward to that. And, um, there had been some things happening with Pat Patterson and uh, Terry Garvin uh, where some things got disclosed that were pretty ugly and um, supposedly they were let go. So I was waiting for my spot and uh, I talked to Vince about it and he said, well, out of respect for Pat, we're not going to put anybody in that position. What? <laughs> you know, that's total bullshit. You know, uh, bottom line was Pat was never gone. Right. You know, he was out of the public eye. And I love Pat Patterson. Don't get me wrong. I love the man to death. He, he never, he was always a man to me and uh, treated me un unbelievably well. And uh, all the respect in the world for Pat and, and his legacy. But um, it really upset me. And uh, at the time, they had somebody running WCW by the name of, uh, boy. Heard? No. Jim Heard? No. Um, oh boy, Shaw. No, I can't remember the guy's name. Anyway, he was the guy that was, uh, making the contracts and I had to do this cloak and dagger thing with him and Bischoff and 
you know, behind the scenes and away from this. And well, Bish wasn't involved. Not, yet. not, not Bish yet. Yeah. This is later. But uh, we sat down and came up with a contract that was just everything I, I'd ever thought about, you know, and uh, it, it was it was unbelievable what they were offering me. And uh, I was <laughs> over the top excited and uh, couldn't wait. And so I gave my notice at WrestleMania and uh, told Vince, I said, you know, I, I'm, this is it. I'm done. You lied to me one too many times. And uh, tonight's the night. And he said, fine. But there will be a 90-day no-compete. Good, I'll use a vacation. Well, in that 90-day period, about the 85th day, Bill Watts is hired and the other guy's gone. Mm. So when I come down to write my contract with uh, WCW, Watts looked at it and laughed at me and tore it up in my face. Because he knew that I wasn't going to go back to the other guys. I just left them. Right. So what, what am I going to do? You know, and uh, he really broke it off of my rear end good, man. And uh, um, typical Bill Watts, you know. But you stayed a while, though. I, I worked for a while, and I just, uh, and the problem happened with, uh, with Sting. We did the thing, uh, spin the wheel, make a deal. And uh, the worst possible match ever, Cold Miner's glove match. What a crap match to pick on that wheel. Give me a break. You know, it's not like it landed on it. No, they landed it on it. But anyway, um, I, I, they wanted the snake to bite me in the match. I have no problem with that. You know, the King Cobra biting me did not bother me at all. A cobra doesn't have fangs. He has teeth. It's like a catfish's mouth. It's just spiny. doesn't hurt at all. And uh, kind of freaky to watch a snake chew on you, but, you know. They wanted it to bite me on the hand, but I wanted the effect, so I wanted it to bite me in the face. So it did, and uh, the deal was, yeah, it'll bite you, and the next week on television, we'll have it bite somebody else. Really? And get back yeah. into it, right? Well, I go to TV the next week, and uh, a cameraman of all people, says, Jake, you can't have the snake on the set anymore. Uh, he's been banned. Excuse me? Yeah, there's no more snake involved in your character. Wow. Bill, watch you screw me one last time. A cameraman told you. Yeah, a cameraman. Wow. Well, that's the respect Bill Watts had for me. You know, he didn't give a shit about anybody but himself. And uh, I wish I could say something good. Well, I, I ain't going to go. It's there. not worth it. I'm it's not, not worth it. Uh, no, no, no. There's, there's no good in hate. But boy, I got plenty of it for you, Bill. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Jake, when you're talking about yeah. meeting sort of cloak and dagger with WCW, would you have met with Kip Fry? Is that the person? Yes, that was, that was okay. Kip. That yeah, was Kip. Kip. Yeah. So it was Kip. Well, we don't hear a lot about Kip. What was your experience with Kip? I know it was brief and unfortunately you didn't get much of a chance to work with him, but what can you tell oh, us about that? Oh my God, that? brother. He, he gave me everything I wanted and then some, you know, uh, uh, the, the percentage that he gave me on uh, T-shirts and stuff, he, they, they, they were going to set up a hotline, uh, 800 number for me, that I would take 50% of that. I mean, the, the money they were throwing out there, 
I was going to get a percentage of pay-per-views. I was going to get a percentage for this. If uh, the ratings went up this much, I got another payday. I mean, it, it was like a baseball contract, basically. But it, it covered everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was going to have time off for my family. I was trying to, trying to keep my family together at the time. You know, being on the road, people have no idea how hard it is on a family. When you're gone months at a time, you know, and it's hard to keep a family together, man, just because you're not there for, you know, total absentee father. You're, you're not a husband, you know, you you visitors here once or twice. I don't know how in the hell I had so damn many kids, Uh, you know, Myrtle, I guess, thank the postman, I guess. I don't know, but, uh, you know, uh, it was crazy, and uh, I wanted more time with my wife. Uh, I love Cheryl very much, and uh, still do, even though we've divorced and everything. But uh, it's all right. There's always possibilities. You never know. And uh, well, you're a different cat now. Yeah, I'm a totally different guy now, and I have Dallas to thank for that. I mean, he helped me find myself, and not only myself, but he he showed me a vision of who I could be. And the hardest thing that he did, other than getting me off the drugs and alcohol, I think and the most important thing was getting me to respect and like myself. Um, When you come from the beginning that I came from, you have a lot of shame involved, a lot of anger. Um, You hide from reality because you don't like it. You're always terrified that another situation is going to come up where you're going to be done in again. So I, I had a lot of twisted stuff in my, my history. And um, Dallas, <laughs> I first moved into with him, man. I used to wear all these T-shirts that had all these negative sayings on them and wasted youth and all sorts of crazy stuff. And Dallas says, dude, what are you doing wearing that crap? I'm like, what do you mean? It's cool. Not really. And it wasn't cool, you know, but sometimes when you're ashamed of something or angry at something, you'll make a joke out of it just so, so you can laugh instead of cry. And that's what I was doing, you know, myself. And, um, I remember that he, he took me in front of a mirror and said, man, I want you to start doing this every morning, you know? Now let me let me interject. That. Yeah. Because the message is what comes out of this, you know, like, uh, and Jake, remember the pieces that were the most important. But what happened, as I remember, he came down, he was so mad at himself. And he came down, he punched the marble counter. That's not going anywhere. I mean, he hit it. He hurt himself. And he said, I'm such a piece of shit. And I go, stop saying that, dude. I go, what's the matter? And he started to tell me, and he was so frustrated. He goes, stop telling me. And I said, come here a second. And we walked into the bathroom. I said, what do you see? He I said, a piece, of shit. <laughs> a piece of shit. I said, stop saying that. I go, look at the shirt you're wearing. And the shirt said, wasted youth. And they said, every time you wear that shirt, you remind yourself of everything that you've wasted up till now. 
I said, you wear things with Manson on. You want to see you wear a Manson shirt. I go, would you want any of your kids near that crazy son of a bitch? It's like, hell no. I go, don't put the son of a bitch over. You should be wearing shit like positive energy or freaking um, never give up or whatever. Something that's, that's something positive that reinforces it. And he looked at me and he went, I get it. I get it. And he walked away. In 20 minutes, he came down later with one of these little pads right here. And he goes, check this out. I got my new T-shirt. And he had designed, because he's an artist. He designed, my history is not my destiny. And he had said it numerous times up till there. But again, just don't think it ink it mm-hmm. like burn that into your brain yeah. like that's how you can really change and that was the real there was that was one of the few things we didn't felt you know but that happened and it was powerful and it, it started god i can remember you doing interviews and parts of them are uh in resurrection of jake the snake um i i can remember just the way you talk and the the calmness that started coming. And I can remember we had done so many interviews because when I moved Jake into my house, people saw it as I'm moving this crackhead into my house, but that's not what I was doing. I was moving one of my closest friends who at this point, when me and Steve first went down to see him, we drove away and I looked at him. And he goes, how do you think that went? I said, I think, I think it's good that we have him in the beginning, but man, I, I really question, do you think, I just can't imagine ever having like a real conversation with Jake again. Like he's so far out there. I, I just can't, this guy's one of the smartest guys I know. He's the most, in his day coming up in the business, was the th- uh, the Yoda of the psychology of what a match should look like. So you can look at it and can't see through anything. Like it has to have uh, those elements of doubt where you're going, oh my God, that was real. You know, he brought all those elements and he knew how to tell a story verbally and physically. I could talk to him even in the early days when I started wrestling, he still had about two thirds of that, not just knowledge, but a way to communicate. And at this point he did it and little pieces, the sobriety, which it's ridiculous how many people Jake has helped by letting Steve, you tell the story. Yeah. Cause we lived it. Steve, Steve must've filmed you know, with our crew over 500 hours and pulled together 93 minutes of, of emotion that you go on this ride that has helped so many people. Like one of the people this year who won our Positively Unstoppable Challenge. We do it every year, starting in January, the Million Dollar Positively Unstoppable Challenge. And one of the guys who ended up in our top six people, his name is Jeremy Laundry. Laundry. And he had been on just crack, cocaine, heroin, I mean, everything for like 20 years. And when he saw that movie, 
it changed his life. And then you start to take those little baby steps. And that's what Jake was doing right there with that. You know, you know, it was me getting a chance to, to give back. And one of the things that when I would be at his house, when he was still living with Cheryl, when, you know, Kimberly threw him out, <laughs> but eventually he landed back, you know, with Cheryl again. And we were watching, I will never forget. I don't remember what the match was, but I remember what I said to him. And he said to me, and the booking committee did not believe in me at this time. If we're talking about like 95, you know, because even though Jake and I were living together in 93, 92, 93, then I went back to WCW, they put me on the shelf immediately. And that's where I started going down the power plant and training every single day, teaching people, because the more you teach someone something, the more you learn, the more you learn, the better you get. And the bottom line is, is that, Every match I had, I would bring it up to Jake. And at one point he said to me, he goes, again, why did you do that? Why did you do that right there? And I said, well, that's what they told me they want me to do in that scenario. And he takes a drag of a cigarette and he looks at me and he said, do you think anyone on that book committee ever thinks you're going to be a top guy? And I said, no. No, they don't. He said, you need to take control of your own destiny. Like it's there for you. It's times you're going to piss people off. And like I told you in the beginning, you're going to piss people off when you try to climb that ladder. He goes, but you got to take control of your own destiny. So I'm having a match with, and I don't remember what year it was. I want to say it was 95, might've been 96. So I'm pretty sure it was 95. I'm having a match with Alex Wright. That's Wonder Kid. And this kid, when he came in, he, was, he really had talent. And they pushed him really hard too soon because he was so young. Yeah, did. So he had some good wins. And getting a win off of him was a big deal. And I know I'm going over in this match. And Bischoff had to literally, because he wasn't in total control at that point. He did let the book committee do most of the stuff. He wasn't in total control. But he literally, it was the first thing that he fought for me on. And I didn't know it till later, but to go over, cause they wanted Alex to go over and you have X amount of time. And one of the things I learned, they give me times like you got 10 minutes here. They started sending me home at five. Now, wait a minute. I got a 10 minute match worked out in my head and I know exactly what it looks like. And Jake had told me, you need to take control of your own destiny. So Charles Robbins looks at me at one point. He goes, all right, you got to go home. I go, okay. And I just start getting my heat. <laughs> and that's normally when I'd be told to go home, when I start getting my heat. And boom, boom, boom. And now I give the kid a you know, hope spot, boom, take him back down. And Charles comes by, he goes, hey, D, D, go home. I go, got it, got it. Bing, bang, boom. I get on him, have him fight back, give him a whole spot, boom, shut him down. Now I'm choking him. He's in the corner, laying with his head down there. I got the ropes and I'm pulling on the ropes and choking him out. Charlie walks up to me and he goes, D, they're screaming in the back, go home. I said, shut the beep up. Hey, I didn't say F-bomb there. Did you see that? So I'm Amazing. mad at myself. Shut the hell up. I'll take the heat. 
And I just kept going down. <laughs> Here's Alex. God bless him. He's like, D, D, go home. Let's just go home. Go home. <laughs> I'm like, no, kid. I'll take the heat. Bing, bang, boom. We go. Now we go into the comeback. Boom. I hit him. Bang. Boom. I hit him with a diamond cutter. And I've got a hell of a pop. And I am expecting to just get my ass reamed. Or punched. Or, you know, or something. You know? Chair shot. But I'm ready for it. Because I know this was probably up till that moment the best match I've had in my career. And here comes Kevin Sullivan, who I love. And me and Kevin had some ups and downs. <laughs> the time, I'm not one of his favorite people. You know? And uh, he's just boom, 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 boom. And it's just me and him. And he throws out his hand and he goes, congratulations. Today, you became a worker. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, and then Bishop pulled me aside later and he goes, you made me look like a genius tonight. Because, you know, because he didn't they, they didn't see it. And uh, it was it was it was a, it was a huge blip. But it came back to Jake telling me take control of your own destiny while you have that opportunity. You know, it might not always work, but hey, at least you know that's what you want to do. I've always told guys that, you know, especially guys that were going to the WWE, if you're going to go up there and you got a shot, don't do what they're asking you to do. Do what you feel is the best. That way, if you fail... You gave it your very best shot. Right. No regrets. You know, uh, for instance, I love the guy to death, man. Sin Bodie. I think he's an amazing talent. He never got a shot. But he went up there and they turned him into a carnival geek. You know, so it, it, he didn't last till the water got warm. You know, and he left there hating himself because he didn't go out there and do what he knew he could do. You know, it'd be like, it'd be like, Hey, I'm a great navigator on an airplane. Okay. Day you're the pilot. Excuse me. I can't go there. You know? <laughs> this will not end well, you know? So do what you do best at every moment. And that's what Dallas had to do, man. He had to say, okay, you know, it's my turn. And, uh, 10 minutes. Okay. Thank you. And went with it. I'll tell you another thing. Gave me live TV. What are they going to do? <laughs> Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. There's a couple of moments like that that happened in my life. Uh, one of the things that was really cool is I I could go down. Jody Hamilton, God bless his soul. He was what unbelievable worker. God, I hated him. <laughs> no, he's a wrestler. Yeah, no, he's a person. Tremendous heel. <clears throat> tremendous. He scared me to death. And completely reality based. And he would always let me come to the power plant. Even over that period of time, I had my rotator cuff torn. They let me go. You know, I, I could still be down the power plant there. If me and Jake weren't doing something, I'd be down the power plant. Just, you know, helping the younger guys 
while I'm helping myself learn from teaching them. And um, yeah, I'm supposed to, Bischoff got me a, a you know, um, minimal contract, like bottom pay, come back. I tried to fight for double that and it ain't happening. So I got a two-year deal at bottom pay, but I got a meeting with Dusty the next day. And Dusty's like my brother. You know, like he's like, he's like a big brother sometimes, sometimes a dad, one of my mentors big time when it came to the business part of the business. And I had gone to the power plant. I know I'm supposed to meet Dusty the next day. And Dusty was there, never was at the power plant. And I was like, Hey, dream, get a big hug. He's like, Oh, we're supposed to talk tomorrow. I said, yeah. I said, I'm looking forward to coming in. I got a couple ideas. He goes, okay, I love to hear him. He said, uh, but for starters, will you jump in and look at, jump in the ring with this kid? I, I, I'm down here. I want to take a look at him. I was like, sure. So I jumped in the ring with him for 20 minutes. 20 minutes later, he's like, okay, that's good. Boom, came out. And there was three rings there. So I'd go from one ring to another. And uh, I, uh, Dusty, I, I thought he left. And what I didn't realize, he was sitting in the office watching the cameras the whole time. I don't know that though. So at the end of the day, I leave. Next day we come in and uh, and uh, I sit down and um, you know we talk about family stuff and then we get into you know what the idea is. I had this idea for the fishbowl. You know, I'm gonna reach in and pull out all the top names in WCW. That's how I'm coming back. I'm going through everybody. Of course, they're all enhancement guys, because that's all they're gonna give me anyway. And uh bottom line is you mean it was rigged? Yeah, rigged, believe that or not. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so uh, uh the um Dusty listens to it, he goes, Okay, he goes, All right, we can do that. He said you know that if I know you've always seen yourself in this main event performer in our business, but I got to be honest with you, D. I never seen it until yesterday. And he had sat back there and he saw the way I was working and what I was doing. And, and you know, I always tell people, you never know who's watching. Yeah. And when he said that, he said to me, if if you just keep doing what you're doing, you just might pull this shit off. And that was Jody Hamilton had told me I could be one of the top guys in the business. Jake said I could be I will be one of the top guys in the business. Dusty told me the same thing. You could make it if you keep doing the same thing. And again, that inner confidence, like I was really learning that never underestimate the power someone gives you by believing in you, like super powerful. And then you have to listen and then figure out what you want to do. You know, believe in yourself. Well, it took a lot of belief for you to actually just start wrestling training. I think in my timeline, when you would have had that talk with, uh, the quote unquote office and, and TA says, Hey, we can't use you as a manager anymore, that would have been late 1991, right? Dallas 90, yeah, 90 or 91. I was 35 and a half. That's yeah. what I do remember. So I was born in 56. So I guess that would be right. Yeah. It looks like, and that's my, when, 
at 91 is when I found you had your first match, at least in front of fans, right. November 5th, it was a tag match with you and Scott Hall. I guess yes. that's how they started you. And then eventually, I mean, think about that timeline that's early November 91. And then Jake pops up backstage uh, in March about maybe coming over to WCW. So right. by the time Jake, I guess my question is by the time you get to WCW or you're at least flirting with WCW. Had you been able to watch any WCW TV? Had you seen Dallas wrestle at all? I know you knew him just as Paige, the bar guy from Fort Myers, mm -hmm. but had you seen any I, of I, his stuff? Yeah, I'd seen a few few bits and pieces of him and Scott Hall also. Yeah. Hey. But here's the thing with Dallas. I, I always knew. He doesn't, he, he gives it everything that he has and then some. Yeah. Nobody has a work ethic like this son of a bitch. I mean, he's when, when they came up with the word relentless, <laughs> that's him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dallas is also smart enough to know that if he don't know the answer, he will find out who does. And he will go question them. I mean, uh, off the top of that, Steve, you, Steve, you's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. And um, he's here to help guide. Here's, here's the horse that's going to run. And you can't stop this pony. But he does take direction. He does listen. You got to keep those ears open, folks, no matter what you're doing. You don't learn anything. So important. And you mentioned Shivani. Uh, and I got to go back to that first match with me and Scott Hall, because this is one of the classic quotes of all time. Uh oh. So, Tony, so Tony and I, like, I'm, I'm still an announcer at that point when I start wrestling, right? So I dressed with the, with the announcers. And Tony came in, show's over. We're in, uh, I'll never forget it was uh, Gal, uh, Galveston, uh, not Galveston. Um, where do you live in, in Texas? Greenville, is it? Where do Gainesville. you live? I live in Gainesville. Gainesville, Gainesville Georgia. Yeah. I always remember that's, that's where we did TV. And I was getting dressed. And Tony walks in and he stops in the doorway and he's like, Dallas, that's one of the best first matches I've seen anyone have. And then he said the quote, he said, if you're this good six months from now, you suck. <laughs> so keep doing whatever you're doing. <laughs> and then you suck. And he walked away. <laughs> but it was something I never forgot, you know, like, you know, whatever you get to whatever first destination, like I just made it to the show wrestling and they pulled me up like weeks. Yeah. I think it was a month and a half, maybe six weeks after I started down that power plant and already put me on TV with Scott and Scott was so pissed off and I did not understand at the time why I'm thinking I created your look. I helped you do everything. I got you the job here. But what he was pissed off about was totally understandable to me later. Here's a guy who rightfully could have been a fucking 10 time world champion. Yeah. Like one of the smartest guys in the business, just like him, friggin' one of the best workers ever. Why am I with the manager now? I mean, you talk about a boom, 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 boom spot on the card. And he didn't last long with it because he he went and took his elbow surgery thing and then took the 
gimmick up to WWE, and we know what happened to it there. It blew up yeah. like it could have blown up anywhere. But you know that those were special moments. Like Scott Hall, you know, wasn't as inf- influential as Jake in my career, but pretty damn influential. <laughs> pretty, pretty damn influential. Scott's been known to leave Mark on just about everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, from me being the manager and him calling me up one night, and he's like. Dallas Page, he's like, I'm watching you manage those tiny little free birds. What you need is six foot six to 298 pounds, you know, of twisted steel and sex appeal. And I called up Magnum and asked him if if uh, if I could bring Scott Hall and manage him. He goes, you know, I've always liked, I always liked Scott. He goes, let me go talk to Dusty. Comes back over the phone. He goes, sorry, baby, can't help you. He said he's been up here twice already and didn't get over. And I hung up the phone and then I called Scott and I told him, I said, I got an idea though, dude, we change your look completely. He's like, what do you mean? I go, well, jet, your, your, your blonde hair, brownish blonde hair. We dye it jet black honky tonks. The only one who has black hair. Think about that. Yeah. Everybody's got black hair today. Back then, no one had it. Black, black hair, except for Honky Tonk. Jake had dark hair, but it wasn't that black, black look. And I said, you could do that. It would change your look completely. He said, okay, I'll do it. I pick up the phone. I call Magnum. I go, Mags. I go, what if I can completely change Scott Hall's look? He goes, what do you mean? I go, what if he doesn't look like the same guy? And he said, all right, just bring him up. We're not flying him. I said, I know that. I know that. But if he drives up, will you, will you take him? He goes, bring him in. We'll give him a look at. Him. So that night I get, I call him back. He's super excited because WCW is not calling him back. WWF's not calling him back. Nobody will pay attention to him. Think about that for a second. Yeah. The bad guy, two-time Hall of Famer. Nobody will call him back. So I call him back and say, I got it, bro. Meet me here in the morning. I want to make sure your hair's right. So that night I'm watching MTV and I see George Michael. He always thinks it's Rob Lowe. It's George Michael on MTV. And he's got that some kind of leather outfit on, but he's got the brush cut beard. And I call Scott. It's two in the morning because I'm a nightclub guy. I still go to bed like two, three o'clock in the morning. So I pick up the phone, Scotty, Dolly. Dolly, what are you doing? My wife's pregnant. She's asleep. He comes out. He goes, what's the matter? What's the matter? I go, you got to shave that walrus mustache. What? I go, you got to get that five o'clock shadow. I go, trust me, you got to do it. It'll change your look completely. All right, I got to go to bed. We'll talk about it tomorrow. He showed up with that brush cut look. Looked like an effing movie star, man. Bringing the hair, that don't work. We're going to get that dyed out. We dyed that baby out. And nobody recognized him. And that was the beginning of a two-time Hall of Famer. It's fun to go back and, and look at how this all started, you know, especially for you, you know, with the, the interesting start. Um, specifically, when you're training with the power plant, this is not the same power plant. I mean, it is in name, but it had to evolve, right? That before you oh, talk oh. about the way the power plant was maybe in 91 versus what cranked out Goldberg. 
I mean, by that point, WCW is in another stratosphere financially and economically and just success and, and name recognition and all that jazz. But in 91, what were they teaching you in the power plant that maybe Jake thought, okay, they're teaching you the fundamentals, but because you guys would watch tape together, right? So you're trying to implement some of the things that you had learned at the power plant, but then Jake is trying to, I don't know, take you to finishing school on the, on the tape, if you will. Yeah. I think that more than anything, um, like Jody Hamilton really gave me a really great base foundation of what wrestling psychology was. And he was really amazing because he was a tag team champion everywhere at tag team wrestling. And that's a a really, like, you got to really know what you're doing there. And I learned so much from him, but I learned all I needed to learn to learn when it comes to the moves. Like I could do all that stuff that, that I was, you know, doing, you know, I look at it today and I look at what some of these kids do today and it, I get hurt watching some matches. I mean, like I'm blown away by the impact. Now they have no idea. Me and him, he's 66. I'm six months from 66, five months from 66. Like we know pain at a different level because they don't know what happens when you hit 50, 55, 60, 65. And I'm not really looking forward to 70, but I keep doing what I'm doing to help hold back the hands of time. My point is coming in at 35, it was the hardest thing I ever did up till that moment. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I hit that mat in that cold, freezing warehouse and hit that mat and thought to myself, man, this fake stuff hurts like hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I can't tell you how many times my body hit that mat. And I said to myself, are you sure you really want to do this? Now, the cool part was, and the really part that saved me is I was 35. So there's a lot of stuff I didn't do, you know, and as I got to 36, 37, 38, and I did some reckless stuff, but I really worked risk versus reward and the power plant. I would take what Jake was teaching me and take it there, mm. you know, and it could have been anything from, hope spots because i was a heel the people made me a baby face and that came off the nwo and that came i couldn't write storylines like jake but i was learning pretty damn good storylines because no one came up with any of my stuff but me except working with randy savage that was his idea not mine it was not my idea or eric bishop's idea for me to beat randy It was Randy's idea. And we tested that out the night before we went to the pay-per-view. And when he saw that reaction, he knew what he wanted to do. And he wanted to lift me up. And if I didn't have all of the training from Jake and the psychology and the understanding about making, eliminating the element of doubt. Like when you're out there, when I'm cutting a promo against Randy Savage, it was for real. Yeah. You know, and there's times we get real, real, real fast. I loved working with them, you know, and I'm sure Jake, Jake can attest to the same. And <laughs> when, when, when Randy left this earth and WWE put up his five greatest feuds that I was in that with him, he feuded with everyone. Literally. 
You know, in 1997, we were the feud of the year. But I took it all. And all, that's where, like, I thought I was ready in 95. I'm sure I'm ready in 96. By the time 97 came around and coming off of that match I had with Eddie Guerrero at Halloween Havoc, where Eddie got hurt and put me over and wasn't supposed to, like it gave me a different level of momentum coming into the NWO thing. So when 97 happened, I was ready for every single moment. And one of the greatest things, and me and him hadn't talked in probably, I don't know, nine months at least. And it's January. And I'll met, this was like winning the world championship to me. Same feeling. And I pick up the phone. And I hear one word, congratulations. Like, Jake, is that you? Yeah. Congratulations for what? Reinventing the DDT. Hmm. When your brother, when your mentor says, you just reinvented the move of the 80s. You know, there's... I get choked up just thinking about it. What a high for me, though. You know, I mean, uh, him doing it. Because uh, there wasn't many people that believed he could make it. I can think of two. Me and him. (laughs) Uh, The rest of them were like, dude's too old. Dude's this, dude's that. There's always going to be a room of doubters wherever you go. Yeah. Your job is to step up and knock it out of the damn park, man. That's the bottom line. You've got to step up. And when your shot is there, you've got to take it. And, um, you know, I wished I had the, well, I'll just say this. Hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for everything that I've ever gotten. Um, I can't imagine what I wasted, nor do I need to. Because what I got takes care of my plate pretty well. Pretty proud of it, but I wouldn't be enjoying my life today had we not gotten back together. And uh, nobody understands just how hopeless you can get until you've been there. And let me tell you something, folks, you don't want to go there. You don't want to wind up with one of these around your damn neck either. And I'll just tell you this, smoking sucks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like everything else. You got to pay the piper at some point. And I'm paying today, but I'm going to be around for a long time yet. I got a few more people I want to piss off. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to leave. I, I know, bet we, there's one more person out there, in Dallas, who believed in you. We had, we talked about her a little bit last week. Uh, and she's there at the very beginning of this. Kimberly, you actually got married. I think right around the time you became a wrestler, right? Oh my God. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, because I literally have my first match. It's me and Scott Hall against um, uh, Chad, Chad, Todd Champion, uh, the Patriot, and um, um, the Fire uh, Firebreaker Chip. Chip, Firebreaker Chip. And Chip oh, and I, God. Chip and I were tight. Chip would come to the power plant. I could talk some of the boys occasionally to coming down and work with me. And Chip came down like five or six times. Like we were boys, right? So now 
you know, let's, this is my first time in the ring, you know, no cameras, right? And, you know, you figure out what you're going to do. You talk about what you want to do. And Scott's like, just call it in the ring. Like, yeah, right. I'm not, I don't have that ability at that point. And uh, so uh, it's going to be, Scott's going to start and then I'm going to come in and I'm going to work with Chip because we've been working together. So Scott walks around, does his thing, throws a frigging toothpick, tags me and steps <laughs> on the apron. <laughs> Poor guy. You son of a bitch. <laughs> but he doesn't tag, but, but frigging Chip frigging tags frigging Todd in. So now it's me and Todd and we ain't talking about anything. And he's a beast at that time. He's every bit of 295 shredded, six foot five. So we have our match and it's actually pretty damn good for me. It's not good. Yeah, not not for not for you know, main event status, but for opening curtain jerker match for the guy who's never really had a match like this and you know had to call a couple spots, you know. You know, it was, it, I felt really good about it. Everybody did. So the next day we're going to Maryland and in Maryland, this I'm leaving to go home after this to get married in Fort Myers, Florida. Kim and I are getting married. So we get in the ring and this one is not going so well. And Todd and Chip, they're like, they don't mean, there's, there's about 6,000 people there because it's Baltimore. Like you'd never get, maybe it was 3,000, but it was a good house, really good house for WCW. And they were wringing my arm, wringing my arm, wringing my arm. And I'm, they're stiff, like, and I know they don't mean to be, but they're excited. Chip, Chip caught me with a couple, and I thought, next week he lets me go, I'm going to knock shit out of him. And I just kicked the dog shit out of him. Bing, bang, boom. We go to the finish. We come walking through the curtains. You remember that shit, that little arena, that little civic center there? It's small. It's tight. There's a bunch of cubby hole, little rooms that you can get changed in, take showers, office to do whatever. And as we're walking in, Chip starts cutting a promo on me. That's really loud. loud. If you can't learn how to work, you shouldn't you know, you shouldn't be out there doing that. Blah, blah, blah. He goes, you motherfucker. So I start getting in his ass. Now we're face to face. And then chest bump. Now people are starting to walk out. Chest bump. And friggin' he hauls off and hits me right here. Swings through. And he knocked me. But I was so jacked up at that moment. I hit him with a front knee and front face locked him. Came over. And now... I've taken out a number of people out of the nightclub in this position. I owned you at this moment. And this guy's my buddy. Like, he's bringing the guy who worked with me. Uh, but he was fucking amped up. I was amped up. So now I'm grackling. What the hell do you think you're doing? And I pick him right off the ground. Scotty Steiner's coming. I mean, all oh, Lex Luger, everybody's coming out. And friggin', I said, I'm going to let you go, man. But if we go swinging, we ain't quitting. You know, we ain't let it go, let it go, and I let it go. He come up, and he walked away. And I walked right after him. I go, dude, what the hell was that all about? Because he's my boy. I love this guy. 
because he actually took the time to spend time with me and work with me and teach me. And the bottom line is it, it, it Paul, uh, dangerous Paul Heyman was like, deep, no, like the mind, like, just go, just go. And I went back, you know, went back to uh, the hotel and Scott Hall looked at me and he said, you just got more over there than you could have in a hundred matches, you know, just being able to stop the situation, yeah. not taking it too far. But I got this cut right here. <laughs> Yeah, the, the night before Thanksgiving, thinking, by the way, that's the night before Thanksgiving. No, not Thanksgiving. Night before I get married to Kimberly. Like oh, okay. The Baltimore so show was, was the night before. Right. That would have been that following Monday that we got married. Yeah. December this, 1st. Yeah. Yes. Right. So it was that following week. And I'm thinking if he caught me right here, she'd have been so pissed off. You think, you think that's bad? Let me tell you what they did back in my day. In 1974, when I started refereeing, because that's what you started as yeah, a ref, I was getting married, and my soon-to-be wife was a few months pregnant, which had serious heat amongst the German community I was marrying into. <laughs> Bob Sweetan, Ken Mantel, and somebody else held me down in the locker room and put the god awfulest hickeys up and down oh my neck my on both god. sides. Oh my god. And I'm going the next day to get married. Oh my god. That is it's not like I can put a turtleneck on. <laughs> so I got these giant hickeys all down my neck. Oh my god. And the bride's pregnant and nobody's smiling. <laughs> I told him what happened. Yeah. They didn't believe me. <laughs> you think we believe you? <laughs> you no, go. I do believe you. I that's do what believe you. That's, that, that's a brutal rip. Oh, it was. Hey, and, and, let, and let me go back to yes, Kim followed my dream. And there was a point, dream, there was a point before Eric re signed me. It was 11 months from me getting let go to me coming back and um she um she was like you got to go back in the bar business i mean they're not going to hire you back you know you're 37 years old now they're 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 not you're not going to get this opportunity and i said to her honey if you don't believe what i'm doing you need not to let that door hit you in the ass on the way out the door because I'm not quitting. I'm not, I will not be denied. And she, she would hear me say over the period, how many times does Moses have to part the Red Sea for you to believe? And there was a point in time where she absolutely believed. If I told her I was doing something, she believed it was going to happen. And that took time, you know, because she was a young girl. If she was, she was 23 then. If she was 30, She'd have been gone. <laughs> I don't mean her. I mean any woman. You know, they were like, okay, he's going to play wrestler his whole life. I'm going to go get it. You know, I'm moving on. But she didn't. And we had a hell of a 13 year run, and we're still best friends today. Great lady. Uh, she she owns a piece of DDP Yoga. Uh, she's very influential in a lot of decisions that I make, and uh, she uh, really is uh, supported. Like. 
It took eight years to become an overnight success of professional wrestling. It took eight years to be an overnight success with DDP yoga. Eight years. Tell me how that works. Yeah. yeah. The eight year is, is right. So in my yeah. research, Dallas, I saw that uh, the best I can see your first singles match uh, happened at center stage on December 9th. You were taking on Johnny rich. You won with a knee drop off the top. But somewhere in the process, your opponent that night suffered a broken nose. Do you remember that? Breaking Johnny Rich's nose? Oh, my he moved. <laughs> yeah, I could That's a wrestler's defense. You moved. I, I didn't I didn't really recall that until you said that. <laughs> imagine. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I could imagine that. You know, amped up, you know, trying to, you know, not like a lot. Like, like, Jim, like Jimmy Yang said, you know, can't see through your shit. Well, sometimes it was live. You can't see through it. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's live, you know. And like that's what it, I think Randy, like everybody would bust my chops about like laying out an idea for a match. Everybody. Oh, Randy Savage does the same thing. I'm going to really knock it out with him. And today... Everybody does that right, wrong or indifferent. But you have to understand when I was in the ring, I never stopped talking. Right. Ever, ever. Like I could be talking shit or I could be telling you exactly what to do by saying, don't block this punch, you know, you know, whatever. But I never, I mean, I could call everything just raw, but it's never going to be as good as if I don't know certain things of where I'm going. And what was really cool was when I was working with Hulk, our very first time we worked in, cause he never talked about shit to nobody. He went out there and called the ring and he came back in a, lo a, drop, a locker room that I was in. He said, when you catch that boot, just put it this way or that way. I said, well, you got to spin it this way. I stood up. So, so it goes with my momentum. Got it. Like, and he walked out. Like that he would take the time, though, to ask that of me was like, wow, that's super cool. I got a, I got a message on my machine from Austin the next day, next day when I got home off the road. How the hell, kid? How the hell did you pull that match out of Hogan? Like Hulk just stepped up. I didn't tell him to do anything. He did stuff on the floor. He suplexed me on the floor. He did stuff he don't ever do. And uh, he's capable. Yeah, he he was very capable and and wanted to do it. And it was uh, he's another guy. He was the next guy to really like like make me believe. 1994. We were maybe 95. When were we on that tour in Germany? Hulk had just come in. Can't remember if it was 94 or 95. But he came in, and of course, he's headlining. And um, we got 13 days, and I'm with Jim Duggan, first match. And by the fifth one, Hulk had um, pulled me over as I came out through the curtain. And he said, uh, how you doing it? And I go, how am I doing what, Hulk? He said, how are you getting so much better? I go, wow, Hulk. I go, thanks. He goes, he goes, this is what they're doing with you, right? They're putting you on the road so you can learn your craft. I said, uh, Hulk, the only, this is my first match on the road in four months. He's like, what? 
I'm like, the only reason that that I friggin' am here is because I've got a smoking hot wife that walks me <laughs> to the ring. And my last real name is Falkenberg. And the Germans love the Krauts. So that's why I'm on this card. And he said, well, then how the hell are you doing it? I don't see you on TV that much. I thought it was I because do. you broke Johnny Rich's nose and he couldn't make it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Good rib. The bottom line is, he says, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Because it's not this year or next year or the year after. But somewhere down the line, you and I have the ability, I really believe it, to draw money together. And he actually said huge money. And I thought, did he just say he watched my matches? Right. You know, that was a huge thing for me. And it gave me again, that belief. And then I, I think it was 94. Yeah. September of 94, September of 94. Yeah. So he, you know, forgetting four years later, he's on a state on a tonight show with, with Rodman and me and Malone walk out and throw down a shooter angle on a tonight show. Second biggest drawing pay-per-view after him and Sting, and that they promoted for a whole year. So pretty damn cool to be, you know, to facilitate fulfill that manifestation. You know, Jake, let's talk about your 1992 a little more. We talked about how you first came in the WCW, you met with Kip Fry, and then of course the Bill Watts thing happened. They program you with Sting. You work in main events nearly every night. And then somewhere around September, you have a match with Van Hammer. I think you suffer a concussion. You wound up missing some shows. What do you remember about that little piece of business there with you and Van Hammer and then your injury? Well, it wasn't so much an injury as it was me making a move. Um, Watts it uh, really screwed me over on the contract. And then he turned around and did the thing where the snake was banned and I was no longer Jake the snake. I was just Jake Roberts. So I was very, very angry. Uh, the thing, one of the things that Bill Watts did at the time was you sign a contract and for 90 days, they would hold half your money. Hmm. You know, you would wrestle for 90 days and on that 91st day, you would get the rest of your money from your first day, which is total shit. Yeah. You know? And what he would do is if you didn't do exactly as he wanted, or if he just wanted to find you, he would find you part of the money they were holding, which is theft. Yeah. Come on. And, uh, after he had pulled that, uh, I did the thing with Van Hammer and then I, uh, disappeared for a few days and I checked myself into a rehab. Yeah. Based on my timeline, it looks like the, the Van Hammer thing happened in September. Then there was the Halloween havoc thing. Then the snake is banned. Yeah, after that, yeah. yeah. So yeah, November yeah, 10th, 92, I, I, I think is, is what I see that. And you went to Betty Ford. Is that right? No, no, no. I went to Ridgeview here in okay. Atlanta. Yeah. Were you, yeah, was that all, uh, just a way to sort of get rid of the contract and, and, and the dispute? It was a way to get the rest of the money out of my contract. I see. Uh, Bill Watts fined me all the money owed <laughs> for my 90 days, which is, to me is just unbelievable if they can do that. So I wound up having to sue, uh, Turner. And, uh, that was a big mistake because, uh, that kept me from ever going back to Turner again. And the whole problem was Watts, but, uh, hindsight's 2020 man. And, uh, 
you know. Sometimes when you're drinking and drugging, you don't have your faculties right. And uh, sometimes you get an asshole put in a situation where you're not going to get a fair deal anyway. So I'm not pissing and moaning about anything, man. What's done is done. And um, the bottom line for me was I put asses in seats. Yep. And when I got in the ring, I did the job. I took care of business. I always performed at a high level. Uh, Vince McMahon once said, Jake, the problem with you is we don't know when you're high. (laughs) And my reply was, well, maybe I've never been straight, which he didn't find funny. But uh, I'm not proud of the fact that I was able to perform because it's not fair to my opponent, you know, for me to be not having all my faculties going. And I'm very fortunate. I never hurt anybody that I didn't want to hurt. <laughs> uh, there were a couple of people that had to be hurt, but they, they pulled it out of me, you know, and uh, I'm not proud of those moments either. But um, my, my time in WCW was, was not good at all. And as the story goes, you, you go into a treatment on the 10th and on the 11th, there's a, a taping at center stage and Bill Watts comes out and announces that you are now no longer a part of WCW. And that's right. the end of the run. And, uh, I'm, I think we, as fans, just like you mentioned last week here on the show, Jake, we get pulled in by, okay, that's part of the show. And okay. That was in the script. And well, that was a cool move, but now that that's real. And yeah. sometimes what we gravitate to the most is that suspension of disbelief. And you had that down pat and we're talking about how real life and, and sort of wrestling storylines all melded together, but there's yeah. a television show that does that these days, right? Dallas. Yeah, man. I, I'm really kind of surprised that no one's really talked about this yet. I feel like it's been left up for me and Jake to talk about. Um, and that's one of the things in coming shows we want to talk about. We want to, we want to talk about that show called Heels. And, um, you know, it's on that show Stars. None of those guys have talked to me and asked me to do this. Um, no, no one's actually uh, put it out there, you know, from their camp. Because I heard they got sec- take, uh, picked up for a second season. That's right. Which is real, you know, which is, it shows that there's a serious interest in the show from the company. Because from what I understand, they didn't draw that much. You know, they didn't draw the viewership that they were looking for. And well, maybe they promoted it. Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I saw it here and there. Cause it's, I've got, I, I know some behind the scenes story on it. Stephen Emil is the star of the show. And that's a guy that like, I, I was at all in for Cody. Cause Cody's my boy, you know? And, uh, and, while I was upstairs in one of the suites, I'm watching this match that Stephen Emile's in, but I don't know it's Stephen Emile. But I'm thinking, that guy's new. Who the hell is he? I mean, he's pretty good. Like, he really gets professional wrestling. And then I came down and Cody told me who it was. I was like, I got to talk to him. He just did a hell of a job. I mean, especially being, he, he's one of the boys now, obviously, but in the beginning, he was just some green cat who loved wrestling. Who's a you know top actor with his show, The Arrow. So uh, Jake and I have 
watch the first couple episodes and we're just going to talk about them uh, as part of, you know, the podcast as we move through with other stuff that, that, that we've got set up to, but I want people to, you know, uh, give it a shot. Yeah. Give it a, give it, yeah. we're going to be talking about it and we're not talking to each other about it yet. No. We're going to talk about it live here on DDP snake pit and uh, give our honest shoot views on from storyline to character and it's just another segment you know I, I was really interested when i heard that it got picked up for a second season yeah because uh what i've seen so far uh i think it needs to be talked about and like yeah, what if, how do we feel about it as yeah. you know two guys who did a little bit in our career uh you know how do we feel how we're being portrayed on a show um it's it, i think you'll find it really interesting we're going to talk about that yeah, it, it's not a feel-good thing. It's it's uh, interesting. It really is. And uh, we hope you guys were interested in what we did this week on DDP Snake Pit. Episode two in the can now, Jake. What are you thinking? You having fun so far with your podcast experience? I can't wait till I start talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I tell you, I've, I've been wanting to do one of these for a long time, but I didn't want to do it. You know, I, of course, I've been on probably a hundred podcasts, but I feel like I've got such a story to tell, man. And a story that will help people that are suffering from alcoholism and drug addiction or somebody that's been through the set down the same road as I have. And, and I'm hoping to get bits and pieces out there, but, uh, this is for wrestling fans, you know, it's for wrestling fans too. And, uh, wrestling fans are the best fans on the planet. No, by far, by far. I mean, nobody's even close and, um, I'm doing it for them and, uh, for me, cause I get to, uh, remember some stuff. Which you got really good at too. Your memory's got I'm getting really, better. I man. mean, so much when he, you know, the crazy part was after two years of him being sober, we started having real conversations yeah. again. And then about three years ago, which would have been five years yeah. of Jake on his sober run, the fog had cleared so much it I would say like, I don't know this Jake. Like this is a different Jake Roberts who loves himself. Like we did, yeah. like we would just bring people up to date on different interviews that we would do to say, what's Jake up till now? And I remember you saying that you fell in love with somebody. Yeah. And that didn't work either. No, but <laughs> yourself. Yeah. You I said did. you fell in love with yourself. And I did. I, I appreciate myself now. And uh, I don't beat myself up anymore, man. Uh, I've already uh, taken that and claimed it. Okay. That's mine. But it's also put away in a box, man. Uh, I don't need to revisit that stuff anymore, man. I don't need to punish myself anymore. What I need to do is get my butt out of here and help other people that are in that same situation. Because I'll tell you something, I've done just about every drug you can do except for heroin. I don't know how I missed it, but thank God it wasn't on purpose. Uh, I've been high in just about every way you can think of. But the greatest high I've ever had, and I want you people at home to try this, help somebody. Truly help somebody like he helped me. And like, I'm wanting to help you help somebody get back on the right track, help somebody 
save their family, help somebody save their life. God, man, what a rush. I mean, I get, I get letters from eight-year-old kids that are thanking me for helping their daddy because now daddy's moved back home and daddy don't drink anymore. Mom and daddy don't fight anymore. You know how good that feels, bro? Mm. No measuring it. No measuring it. And I just want to thank all those people out there that have watched the film and that have walked away with something out of it. That's what it was made for. One thing you say it, you say it in resurrection. You say it don't have to be like this. No. That's powerful. No. You know, it don't have to be. And once you make that decision, well then one you know, step at a time, brother. I mean, I know it's said time and time again, people get tired of hearing it, but it's the truth, man. One step at a time, one second at a time, sometimes, man. But I'm still fighting those damn cigarettes. Shame on you, American Tobacco Company, <laughs> for poisoning every damn one of us. Man, it's bullshit that the U.S. government allows a company to destroy America. Well, by now, boys and girls, you can tell this is not your average wrestling podcast. We're having a lot of fun. Hope you guys are too. Hit the subscribe button, hit us on social, and we'll be back next week with another pretty powerful episode from DDP Snake Pit. Turn me on. See <laughs> yeah.